How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that glorious day comes, I am your host, Josh, and this is In Defense of Liberation. I hope that you folks have been enjoying the content I've been putting out lately. Uh, It tends to uh, fall on some similar topics and we tend to get into some similar discussions, but I find that each and every time that I go about having conversations like this that I am able to maybe hit on one or two more points that I had either forgotten about or didn't have proper enough clarification in a previous episode about. So I'm always, uh, you know, hitting that record button and I hope people, you know, don't find it obnoxious. I hope people continue enjoying the content and, you know, I'm starting to see my, uh, uh, I, audience go from, it was at 70 estimated the other day and now it's at like 62. So I don't know if it's the content I'm producing, the frequency by which I'm producing it, or the fact that, you know, some people hit on a show for a while until it gets repetitive and then go to another one. So I need you folks to tell me, you know, I need folks to be reaching out. I need people who listen to the show to really tell me what about it they enjoy, what about it they don't enjoy, what about it they wish that I would improve on, what topics they think I might, you know, really be able to hit on, what guests I should invite on the show, and what shows I should try to be a guest on. Uh, I uh, spend a lot of my time you know, reading articles, books, uh, watching YouTube, listening to podcasts and audiobooks about this shit. So I hope that any and all of that information is being put to good use and that I'm not just some rambling and bumbling asshole who's got a lot of words to say, but nothing worth much value. So again, the only way I'm going to know any of this is if y'all start letting me know. So if this show sucks shit, I need at least 20 emails telling me that say this fucking show sucks because I get like 60 viewers. So if one third of you were to able over the course of maybe, I don't know, the next month to reach out to me and let me know what you like and don't like of the show, I would really appreciate it. Um, I know that it's not the highest quality. I know that I don't do as much research as I really need to. Unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of free time in between my job itself and then, you know, life. So I oftentimes, as I've mentioned before, record in my car on the way to work. And I usually am recording, as I am right now, at 8 o'clock in the fucking morning. So if I don't have the sharpest takes, if I don't have the most riveting evidence and information, that's my bad. But, you know, don't expect it to get uh, uh, miraculously um, that much better anytime soon just simply because I mean I don't have the money and resources to produce a really you know high quality show I don't have the time or energy to sit down and record for an hour and a half or two hours uh, every time with you know detailed notes and everything like that I do on occasion get a chance to do something like that and it oftentimes does produce such a better show but again it's difficult and uh, I use more of that time to actually you know, breathe for two seconds and uh, 
I also spend a lot of that time sending emails, unfortunately. <laughs> I spend a lot of time sending emails to try to get in contact with organizations and groups doing work. Uh, I just heard back very recently from the uh, uh, Spirit of Mandela organization. Hopefully they will be coming on. I recently heard back from Luna Oi, as I've mentioned. I heard back from um, the Columbia Workers Union, and I'm waiting to get an email from the Starbucks Workers Union. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, I, I struggle with trying to find ways to be educational in the sense that, like, you know, I'm producing a show... But most of my information that I'm getting, most of the talking points that I'm really bouncing off of are coming from other shows. And so my fear is that, you know, I'm just sitting here pressing record when I could instead be sending you to these other quality shows. But not for nothing, I enjoy doing the podcast and I think that I have a decent, you know, political understanding in order to present a solid analysis. So... I hope that's true. If it's not, you know, again, you gotta let me know. Otherwise, I'm just gonna keep rambling over here and thinking that any of y'all think it's worth it. (laughs) But anyways, now that I got that off uh, the top, I uh, would like to thank you all for stopping by, for checking out the show. It really does mean a lot when I go and look, because I used to get like three, four listens. So it does mean a lot when I get like 20 or 30 And I'm able to see that, you know, people are engaging with my content. I just really do wish more folks would also engage with me. But, um, you know, there's a lot going on, so I want to get into that. And I'd also like to take a few minutes at the top of the show to shout out some of my favorite uh, content creators because I think they've all been putting out great stuff that you all need to be checking out. So I'm just going to go straight down the list. We're going to talk about, uh, you know, we're just going to mention every single show and that I really enjoy listening to. So right off the top, we go Blowback. These are all on Apple Podcasts, by the way. These ones here. So you have Blowback, Africa World Now Project. You have The Empire Files, This Is Hell, The Groundings Podcast, Millennials Are Killing Capitalism, by any means necessary. Shout out Sean. Shout out Jackie. Dixieland of the Proletariat. Comrade Reads. Teach Me Communism. Little Red Schoolhouse. Probably Cancelled Podcast. Revolutionary Lumpin' Radio. Give the People What They Want. Citations Needed. Anti-Conquista, Bands of Turtle Island, The East is a Podcast, Gorilla History, that's spelled G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, Guerrilla History, you got Working People Podcast, Mark's Madness, Revolutionary Left Radio, the Red Nation podcast, and also the Red Menace podcast. So that's it for podcasts. If I go over here to YouTube, let me scroll through my uh, subscription list and uh, list off some few 
great shows that I think everybody should be checking out. Um, hold on here. Okay. So we have off off the top. We have the homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynes, aka the host of Unmasking Imperialism. We have Luna Oi. We got Afro Marxist. People's Dispatch, Socialism for All, Marxist-Leninist Theory, Second Thought, News Click IN, Hakim, The Marxist Project, Li Jingjing, Again Comrade Reads, Dank Audio Stash, Leftist Theory Audiobooks, Rad Reads, Black Red Guard, who now has a podcast on uh, Radio Sputnik. I can't remember the name of the podcast, but if you go to my episode with Black Red Guard from a few months ago, I believe he mentions it. Uh, Friends of Socialist China, Audible Socialism, Leftward Books, Tanky Talk, and Revolution and Ideology, Shanspeare, Intellectual Media, Marxist Literature Collective, Radical Reads, Redfish, uh, Marxist Paul, and that uh, seems to be it. Also, I follow and subscribe to the Gravel Institute. But they don't always put out fantastic stuff. Same with, um, oh, uh, Dank Audio Stash sometimes just posts, like, and same with, uh, I don't think I said LibriVox, but LibriVox is on my subscription list on YouTube as well. They basically post just random audiobooks a lot. So it's not always great, but it's, you know, they put content out. Um, but those are the people who I mainly, you know, check out and listen to. Um, I also love to read books. So right now I'm reading a book called OSS, The Secret History of America's First Central Intelligence Agency, which is the history of the uh, Commission of Information as well as what kind of developed out of it uh, and all the ways in which um, the wealthy, powerful elite of not just United States, but also of Europe and other countries, has been uh, directly involved with, if not directly assigned to, missions of espionage and secret service for the U.S. empire. Um, Of course, you have the FBI, the CIA, you had the OSS, you had the COI, you had plenty of three-letter organizations that have existed. Right now, you have NSA, you have uh, the OAS, you have all kinds of different USAID, three-letter, four-letter, five-letter organizations that serve as fronts for imperialism, Um, whether that be economic, social, or political, need not matter because the U.S. is involved in all of those forms of uh, what we might call counterinsurgency or counter-quote-unquote terrorism, which is when the imperialist countries invade uh, secretly, not in mass numbers, but through, you know, uh, clandestine operations, sovereign nations, and try to overthrow 
or influence their political, social, and economic structures. This happens most frequently, of course, in actively liberated or socialist countries, and oftentimes it leads to a huge uh, buildup of contradictions between uh, even those among the left. Um, And so, you know, reading this book, it's been very clear all the different ways in which the U.S. government, since the very early days of organizing, I mean, one of the main founders of the COI was present at the Versailles Treaty in 1919, so these folks have been actively involved for a century, at least, uh, in the political, economic, and social struggles of countries all over the world, but the ways in which they have co-opted the struggle of uh, what, you know, the person writing the book R. Harris Smith, I think his name is. He's a former CIA director. Uh, He's writing the historical analysis of the OSS, which he had once been a part of, I believe. Anyways, getting to see the ways in which they co-opt the struggles of different countries, but also here in the United States, the way in which they co-opt the rhetoric and the organizations that are supposedly revolutionary is incredible. So we really have to stay on our guard. We really have to continue educating ourselves and others. We really have to be vetting and really paying attention to those members within our organizations. And we really have to be dedicating ourselves to practical and actionable struggles which can lead us towards a revolutionary movement. Um, that starts with, you know, on-the-ground work, that starts with building cadre, that starts with developing a party program, that starts with understanding the theoretical developments of socialists, communists, and others before us. That also means understanding their organizational developments, understanding the history of different struggles that took place all over the world for liberation and socialist revolution. So uh, I would implore anyone to uh, keep reading if you enjoy it. If you don't particularly enjoy it, I would ask that you reach out to me and maybe, if you can, explain what it is you don't enjoy. Because I find that oftentimes people who don't enjoy reading think that there's no other way that they can consume this content. Um, And I would love to be able to help with that if anyone, you know, finds any inclination to do something like that. But... Anyways, uh, this is really what I've been paying attention to. Again, I spend a majority of my time thinking, learning, and listening to this shit um, for the purpose of having as wide and as round of an understanding of the world that we live in as possible. Uh, One of the most important things to scientific socialism is a grounded, concrete understanding of concrete conditions. And so these concrete understandings can't just come from objective, or excuse me, from subjective uh, viewership. It can't just come from a a one-off conversation with someone. It can't just come from someone else's opinion. If you yourself are someone who just takes what other people say at face value and just absorb that as your own opinion, uh, then, my friend, you are not unlike many others, so, you know take that with a grain of salt and also understand that you yourself are not using your brain you're not thinking thought as jmp would uh call it so i'm going to need you to think some thought thought i'm going to need you to think critically i'm going to need you to 
criticize and analyze and understand the different works of theory, the different works of revolutionary liberation, the different organizations and actors and individuals and events that have taken place all throughout history. And I want you to do so not so that you can have the right understanding, you know, so that you can be correct. But in fact, that is our goal. You know, we're not meaning to be correct so that we can have an ego and just, you know, pounce on people every time they say something incorrectly. But we want to be correct so that we can correctly guide people towards the correct political lines, which will lead them towards practical and revolutionary action. That's what we're looking for. We are looking to organize. Um, and organizing, you know, that that's a word that a lot of us don't really get a deep understanding of. And I've gone into some discussion about what that really can mean. But ultimately, when we say organize, we want to understand that there are forces, there are individuals, there are organizations that are already actively struggling, that are already actively participating in forms of liberation, in forms of self-determination, in forms of community organization, and in forms of community control. We have different revolutionary parties and organizations within the United States and across the world, which is trying to build an active socialist revolutionary movement. And so to say that there aren't organizations, to say that there isn't organization, to say that there is a difficulty with connecting the masses of people, especially here in the United States, to an active socialist struggle all of that goes without saying as people are already actively involved in these struggles. Like, my ability to say this is difficult, my ability to say there is no solidarity, my ability to say organization is uh, one of the largest issues that we are facing in the West, all of that comes from the experience of others who go on podcasts, who write books, who engage in struggle and are leaders of organizations that I've spoken to who clearly state these things as issues, who clearly state that the West and the left within the West is discombobulated, disorganized, and at a lot of points in time at each other's neck for things that we need not be. Um, we kind of take a uh, incorrect perspective towards organizing, which is we're going to get with everybody who agrees directly with us. And anybody who doesn't agree with our direct line, we're just going to toss aside and we're going to chastise. When, in fact, if our goal as communists and as socialists is to organize the working class, then we have to understand that people who have incorrect analyses, people who have different political lines, all play a role in the struggle. Each and every one of them will play some role, whether that be of opposition or allegiance to others within the struggle. Otherwise, we are completely severing off limbs from ourselves, completely cutting out our legs from underneath us. We have to engage with these other organizations. We have to engage with these other organizers and activists. We have to engage with theory. We have to engage with content. We have to engage with all that is happening, not only here in the West, but around the world. We have to take it in. We have to absorb it. We have to understand it. We have to study it. We have to critique it. We have to criticize it. And we have to also learn from it and take it on ourselves and be able to 
revolutionarily and dialectically develop these different struggles into more capable, more practical, and more revolutionary attempts at overthrowing the system as a whole, not remediating the symptoms, not placing band-aids on open wounds, not trying to suck the venom out from within this very poisonous system itself, but burning, exploding, destroying this system, and from its ashes, building a new system. Our perspective that we take where we are constantly at each other's neck is very similar to the perspective we take when we are viewing different organizations and different struggles which have taken place across the world. If we do not agree with it on principle, we refuse to study it and learn from it. We refuse to analyze the ways in which socialists and communists have failed before us. We refuse to look at the ways in which that we can learn. We either A, remain dogmatically attached to the strategies by which different groups have taken part in in other historical epochs and other uh other contexts, or we dogmatically throw all of that away and try to eclectically, on you know, a whim, come up with strategies and tactics that have never been tried before so that we can succeed this time. Now, you tell me, let's be honest, it has been, it, it's 2021, there's been hundreds of years of capitalist exploitation. There's been thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of class society oppression and exploitation. You mean to tell me that you think you are gonna on a whim come up with some strategy or tactic that has never been thought of before? And even if you are, how? You gonna get it out of a book? You you gonna get it from my podcast, someone else's podcast? No. The only way you can do that is by actively organizing and participating in the struggle yourself. That's not a new strategy. That's not a new tactic. But it seems like in the West, trying to ask people to organize their workplaces, trying to ask people to knock on doors, trying to ask people to make food or to pass out PPE or to actually invite people indoors when they're outside and try to help acquire them housing, None of that happens, and trying to ask folks in the West to do something like that is like pulling teeth. I saw a conversation on uh, Facebook where somebody was saying, you know, uh, instead of just quitting your shitty jobs, try to organize them. Try to find ways to connect with other workers who also are having to endure these shitty workplaces and try to find ways in which to encourage them. Try to find ways in which to connect them. Try to find ways in which to build them up and take them towards wanting to do an action, wanting to picket, wanting to form a union, wanting to all quit together instead of just one of you quitting, wanting to strike. All of this is far more revolutionary and far more able to achieve any kind of progressive objective than you just quitting and thinking that you're going to find a better job. You're not. And even if you do, it's temporary. You can be fired. You can be laid off. The job can shut down. They can stop paying you as much. Inflation can go up. You can lose your housing. Your parents can die. You can get in a car accident. You can be paralyzed. 
None of that shit is permanent. None of that shit is systemically changing the situations we're facing. And so when you yourself take it upon yourself for to only focus on self-preservation, which is what the opposite side of the person who was saying you need to organize your workplace instead of quitting, the folks who are saying that, no, you should just quit your job, fuck it, they're pushing this line of self-preservation. What exactly can you preserve on your own? What exactly of yourself is even preservable within a capitalist system? You're lying to yourself. You're completely ignoring the reality of the situation. And it's shitty. And I'm not telling you, you know, whoever's listening to this, I'm not telling you that you're doing shit wrong. I'm just using you as a, you know, an abstract you talking about the person who was posting on Facebook. So what I'm meaning to say is if we feel that we have any ability to self-preserve, then we have so much more study to do. We have so much more analysis of the capitalist system to do because this system in and of itself is rotten to the core and is festering like a disease. It is leading to things like neoliberalism. It is leading to things like neocolonialism. It is leading to things like the coronavirus pandemic, supply shortages, etc. But at the end of the day, we can't call these things issues We must call them symptoms. They are symptoms of the wide-scale issue, which is the fact that we live in a system which is directly split in between those who have and those who have not. The inequality that is central to the capitalist system and is the only point of origin by which this system can propel itself forward through the continued use of and extraction of surplus value and surplus labor from the working class. It is only through the continued exploitation and repression against the working people of the world that this capitalist system can continue to exist as it does, that it can continue to grow, that it continue to profit, that it can continue to build and uh, uh, expand and destroy what exists so that it can propel itself forward and build itself anew. And this capitalist system, of course, we might be able to say at one point was revolutionary. If you look at the writings of Lenin, of Marx, of Mao, and their discussion of how out of feudalism, out of absolutist societies, out of monarchies, out of parliamentary struggles, we have to see an influx of capitalism naturally because of the development of dialectical human society. And so therefore, capitalism at one point put more uh, laborers into the workforce. It put more uh, supplies into the stores. It put more production into uh, action. But in doing so, further exploited, further oppressed, and hiked the prices, therefore further taking advantage of the very workers themselves who were in those factories, who are building those products, who are putting those supplies in those stores and selling them and manning those storefronts. It is the workers themselves, you and me, who have built this system on our backs. And more importantly, it is the exploited and further oppressed people in the global south who are taken advantage of, who are enslaved, who are imperialized and colonized, who are dehumanized, who are taken for everything they have and paid pittance on top of it. If you thought minimum wage was shit, what do you think about 33 cents a day that Haitian workers get in Fruit of the Loom, huh? 
It is by the oppression of the majority of people that this capitalist system is able to propel itself forward. And so if we want to see an end to that oppression, we have to first see an end to this system. The system itself is what replicates that oppression. The system itself is what builds and develops the people and the organizations and the state departments and the three-letter partnerships that lead towards further imperialism that lead towards further colonization and lead towards further advancement of the capitalist neoliberal system that is destroying the people and the planet itself today. We must have revolutionary politics. Revolutionary politics are the only politics that it will lead us through to a successful struggle. If our politics are centered on reform, if our politics are centered on class collaboration, If our politics are centered on finding the ways in which the ruling class that exists today can make this system of capitalism, of imperialism, more comfortable for us within the West, then we are no better than the imperialists and colonists themselves because we are what you might call opportunists. Look at the Nordic states. I always hit on this. The Nordic states are only able to provide their people what they provide them because of their own continued exploitation of the global south. The only difference is the pie is sliced in eight slices instead of one. Um, Now you maybe have, you know, a few different representatives within your government who might come from different, uh, you know, ethnic, national, racial, uh, or Uh, gendered backgrounds and so therefore in the truest identity politics form we see these identities uh, captured and capitalized on by the capitalist and imperialist system this is not to say that in identity politics play no role in the revolution but it is to say that identity politics in and of themselves serve as an opportunity for co-option serve as an opportunity for uh, uh, um you know, further exploitation, oppression, and repression of the masses themselves because now you get to put this or that person up and say, well, look at you have a woman in charge or look at you have a, a trans person in charge or look at uh, your, you know, organization's leadership is all black even though they continue to just sign deals with oil executives and uh, other capitalist enterprises. And trust me, That's not to come at anyone or any organization directly. Although, if you're thinking of one in your head, might be a reason to be. But anyways, the issue is the fact that at the end of the day, whatever our struggles are, if we do not have revolutionary politics, they will always boil down to class collaboration. They will always boil down to capitulation to the ruling class. If you look at the revolutions in 1848 throughout Germany, if you look at the uh, spring, the February revolution in Russia, if you look at the anti-imperial, anti-colonial, anti-feudal struggles that happened in China, if you look at some of the earliest independent struggles that happened throughout the global south, you see what we might call the national bourgeoisie or the people themselves within imperialized or colonized nations who are able to propel themselves to positions of power through doing the bidding of the imperializing or colonizing nation. This is what defines and builds the national bourgeoisie. 
and they exist here in the United States as well. There are levels to the ruling class. There are contradictions among the ruling class, but those contradictions are only able to be capitalized on if we ourselves are wielding the power. It's not enough to be able to sit here and say that there's a difference between this or that member of the bourgeoisie because that difference does not change the fact that they are members of the bourgeoisie. That difference does not lead towards a revolution. For example, you put someone like AOC or Bernie Sanders into a high-flying position of power and you got people thinking that we got the revolution coming. The revolution is coming, but Bernie Sanders and AOC aren't going to be its leaders. We need revolutionary politics, not reform. We need an entirely new system. We don't need the executive branch. We don't need the judicial branch. We don't need the legislative branch. We don't need America. We don't need the United States. We don't need capitalism. We don't need imperialism. We need socialism. We need a revolution. And we need to be doing that today by taking practical steps towards it. I want to specify here that it's important to understand this because if and when we are able to build ourselves into a true revolutionary mass, uh, revolutionary mass organization, I should say, uh, the sooner that we're able to capitalize on these contradictions in an actual material fashion, um, if and when the ruling class is, you know, able to be overthrown, it will be oftentimes through active Uh, you know, temporary allegiance with bad actors within that ruling class who give us the opportunity, who give us the information, or who give us the open window to strike our revolutionary blow against the ruling class. And if and when that does happen, we will take them up on their offer. But again, we must understand the direct contradiction between the interests of the ruling class and the interests of the working class. So if and when someone like Lenin, for example, who signed pacts with the French government in order to uh, evade a possible German invasion, if and when stuff like this happens, it must be done on a temporary basis It must be done in an educational way, which leads towards further political education. And it must be done uh, for the mass, uh, for the masses best interest. It cannot be done because, you know, it might make this or that member of the working class a little bit of money. It can't be done because it's going to make this or that member of the working class now a new member of the ruling class. But it is, you know, oftentimes if you look historically, that is exactly what happens. Um, Unless you have, again, a truly revolutionary organization, which what that means can only come out in action. Historically speaking, we have only known which party was truly revolutionary by the actions that they have taken. (coughs) (coughs) And, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) just... Jesus Christ. Holy shit. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Wrong pipe. Anyways. This only comes also through stuff like non-action. If you look at, you know, I always hit on the Russian Revolution, but it's just what I know the most of. I plan on learning more about, you know, other revolutionary movements and uh, groups, but... For the time being, I know the most about the Bolsheviks and the Russian Revolution, so get over it. If you look at the Russian Revolution in February, 
you got the Mensheviks and the socialist revolutionaries who just get now new positions of government within this, you know, newly formed provisional government. And then they fucking, they don't do anything. They sit there and they tell the peasants, you know, wait until the constituent assembly, wait until the end of the war, wait until we can, you know, pay these landlords for their land so that they'll leave. And the peasants are like, fuck that. They pick up a gun and they go take the land over. And then what happens? The provisional government starts putting out pamphlets and information saying to stop doing that. Telling the peasants to stop taking what should be rightfully their own land into their hands. What a revolutionary group this was, right? And uh, so to see that difference between, you know, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks in that way, we know what we're talking about here. We know that folks like AOC... Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, etc., use left-wing rhetoric in order to continue getting voted into office. Because not for nothing, A, nothing can be done in those offices. You are up against a ruling class which is consolidated, which is organized, which is militant, which has legal code written in its favor, which has checks and balances put in place so that you can't actually pass anything which has legislation in place that stops you from being able to do what you want to do because this or that, you know, (coughs) interest group has uh, lobbied enough to get uh, the Senate or the House or uh, whomever to, to pass a bill or to enact a law or to speak out against this or that uh, conversation. And so you, you see folks like AOC defending Israel, You see folks like Bernie Sanders just posting on Twitter. They can't do anything. They're physically incapable of doing anything. They are outnumbered. The second reason why it's bullshit is because then they just get elected into these places where they're becoming millionaires. Representatives in the House of Representatives get paid $3,600 a week. $3,600 a week. Could you imagine that? The first week that you work, you're making $3,600 a week. And I know, God fucking damn it, there's going to be some liberal that's going to say, well, AOC needs that money because she was a bartender and she was just working class just like, yeah, well, now she's not. And she's not using her role for revolution. She's not using her role for changing the system. She's using her role for speaking out against the system. She's using her role for garnishing attention for ideas like socialism. But ultimately, it's all a a smokescreen. And if you don't agree, wait three years. Wait and see what these representatives do coming up against this 2024 election. And I guarantee you, when the Republicans own the Senate, the Congress, and the House of Representatives, and when we have a a Republican voted into office in 2024, I guarantee you that the Democrats are going to offer no opposition because right now they don't offer any opposition. They just all, every single politician within these houses of government, both Democrat and Republican, voted on two bills. One bill a while back that said if any locality or municipality votes or passes legislation to defund their police department, they can watch as their national funding from the federal government will be taken away. So say in my hometown, they defund the police. Any money that they get from the state or federal government ceases. They will no longer get any aid whatsoever. So their school system, their city functions, their water authority, their electricity, their jobs, all of that 
no funding for defunding the police. It was a vote of 99 to zero. The only reason why it wasn't 100 to zero is because someone was sick and didn't come in to vote. The second vote, which was just had the other day, which was, which was to continue the military and border patrol tactics of the Trump administration. They will be passing no new laws, just simply giving more funding to the military. They will be passing no new laws, but just giving more money to the border patrol. And we know what these groups are doing. We know what colonization and imperialism looks like as it continues on our borders today. We know what the border police and the cops and the military and the National Guard and the different militias and the different, uh, you know, military police and all the different pigs that serve the role of capital intend to do with that money. Militarize and hyper uh and, and, and hyper-intensify their aggressiveness. The U.S. military is continuing its operations with Israel, training together. It's continuing to take in uh, NSO technology. It's continuing to sign contract deals with Saudi Arabia, who continues to massacre people in Yemen as we give them the guns and bombs to do it. And I shouldn't say we. That's one thing. I'm going to say this real quick, and then we're going to move on to a different topic. Stop saying we when we talk about the U.S. empire. Because holy shit, do I do that all the time? Talk about our military, our empire. You know, we did this, da 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 That's propaganda. Holy shit, that's baked into us. It's meant to make us think that this is our doing, that this is our country, and that this is anything that we should support. And it isn't. Fuck the United States. I have no part of it. This is not my country, and I can't wait to see the day that it crumbles. But in saying that, I might also want to explicitly mention that that does not excuse us from participating in the furthering of the settler colonial society that exists here in the United States on Turtle Island. We cannot say, okay, fuck the United States. I have all these critiques about the United States. I'm not, you know, pro-U.S., da 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 and then, like, be like a, 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 a homesteader and, like, you know, buy land that's uh, fucking dispossessed from people uh, for, you know, not paying taxes. Or, you know, if you look further back to just the very fact that this nation was built by the mass seizure of uh, sovereign land uh, and uh, mass genocide of its indigenous, um, you know, uh, population. And so in saying that, what I mean to say is that this is not my country, but every day that I and you do not go on actually fighting to destroy this country, allegedly, we, we perpetuate that settler colonialism we are trying to separate ourselves with. Every day we are not actively fighting to try to build from within the belly of the beast a movement that intends to explode from within. Every single day we refuse to take the opportunities that we have in front of us to advance the struggle to decolonize through revolution Turtle Island and absolutely uh, 
pass the land back to its indigenous population and to build a new society. Every day that we are not actively working on that is a day that, you know, especially us white cis males are in, you know, many effects uh, actively uh, perpetuating and advancing that system. So it is important that we understand the uh, roles that we play within society. It is uh, important that we understand that if we are not, you know, it's kind of the same, um, it's the same logic as it's not enough to be uh, non-racist, you must be anti-racist. Like, it's not enough to just know this shit is fucked up. We have to, like, do stuff about it. And so we can't just think that, like, oh, well, I posted on Facebook Or, you know, for myself, oh, well, I recorded this podcast, so, you know, I'm I'm good. I I don't need to actually do anything. We can't do that. And we can't just, you know, one thing I'm really getting sick of even talking about, so I'm only going to mention it uh, quickly. I really am sick and tired of only seeing leftists argue. And I use that term leftists specifically. Because I don't like that term. I don't call myself a leftist. I'm a communist. But leftists on social media who find more time to research the, uh, you know, CIA propaganda uh, and the, uh, you know, misinformation about this or that, uh, you know, socialist project and a bad thing that it did or a bad thing that one of its leaders said. We see people dedicate so much fucking time to just typing out like a a fucking doctoral thesis on why this probably 16-year-old kid knows nothing about Stalin or on the vice versa, uh, you know, thinks that uh, a mass murderer was a revolutionary, da-da-da-da. This shit is so pathetic, y'all. It's childish. Y'all look like fools. We look like fools. I hope you know the ruling class is laughing at us. Every single time that you find it more important to argue with some fucking anarchist on Facebook instead of going out and actually doing anything in your community, every time you do that, Jeff Bezos made a billion dollars. So... How about you recognize the fact that nothing is going to change through arguments on social media and fucking do something? Because holy shit, if in five years, I just, you know, if in five years we still have yet to actually build a revolutionary movement here in the United States, there will be two to three things to directly blame. One, COINTELPRO and the central intelligence agencies. Two, social media. Three, neoliberalism. Um, we have so much stacked up against us. The whole system, you know, it's very obviously not in our favor. And I'm not saying any of these things to chastise folks who are, you know, legitimately just lost or don't have the time as myself or yourself might have to go out and do anything. I'm not trying to chastise those folks. I I mean, I think it's ridiculous that every time we critique something, everybody wants to be like, oh, well, what about so-and-so? 
obviously, if I'm sitting here like, you need to get out of your house and fucking go build a community self-defense network, I'm not talking about people who are bedridden. So stop acting like that. That's liberalism coming into your head. You're just finding ways in order to have an excuse to not do something. Um, And if you take an offense to that, there's probably a reason. And you know what? If I'm a dick, I'm a dick. Whatever. Fuck it. Anyways, I wanted to talk about the fact that we have a real opportunity. And I want to talk about what that means really quick before I have to go. The situation in the world is disastrous. The uh, average person in the world is illiterate. They have some form of uh, hunger scarcity. Or, excuse me, they have some form of hunger or food scarcity. Uh, The average person is most likely under or unemployed. Underemployed meaning that the job that they have or the jobs that they have plainly do not provide for what they need even though they have those jobs. Uh, On top of that, the average person either rents or does not, at the very least, own a home. Uh, The average person in the world also has to suffer some form of, you know, negative consequences to political, social, economic, or environmental crises right now. The whole world is going through it. You could take one of those long pointy sticks that your teachers had with the weird Mickey Mouse finger on the end and point at every single corner of the map and find a country, a city, a locality where people are suffering from everything we just talked about. That is capitalism. That is why socialism, the dialectical, and I should, I should say scientific socialism, The dialectic uh, development out of capitalism from the new to the old is the right approach. Not because I say so, but because it scientifically, you know, adds up. You're going to take from the old into the new. You can't just sever completely from the feudal system and go into capitalism. You have all different things like landlordship and most importantly, private ownership in general which develops from feudalism to capitalism. It stays the same in essence, but changes its form. This is happening all over the world. And now capitalism is developing forward. Capitalism has developed things like colonialism, imperialism. Capitalism has developed things like uh, racism sexism, uh, ownership of individuals as property. Capitalism has developed things like uh, race, race laws. Capitalism has developed things like the uh, concentration camps that are here in the United States, aka private prisons, ice concentration camps, uh, residential schools, etc. We have concentration camps just like they had in Germany, just like they had in Italy, just like they had in Poland, just like they had in Hungary, just or not Hungary, where am I thinking? Anyways, we have concentration camps just as we always have. We have racial and gendered violence just as we always have. 
and we have also a system that benefits directly from this inequality and from this uh, mass of contradictions that exist among the people. All of this, all of it, every single piece of it is directly connected to the capitalist system in one way or another. And that's why I keep making episodes like this, because it's hard to explain it all in one conversation. It's hard to explain it all in even a few conversations that are the same. So I really try my best to go over as much of how this is all connected as I can, because really, that's our goal. We're building a class struggle. What does that mean? Well, we have people of our class that come from all different places in the world, that come from all different walks of life, that come with all different uh, further forms of exploitation and oppression. We have folks uh, who we are far more in common with in South Africa, working in mines, working on factory floors than we do with our, you know, CEO uh, <clears throat> mayor or, or, you know, that I guess that's just my local area. But anyways, we have more in common with a peasant farmer in India than we do have in common with our presidential administration. And we have far more in common with the Chinese people, with the Russian people, with the Philippine people, with the Syrian people, with the Afghanistan people, with the people of uh, Libya, with the people of uh, Jordan, with the people of Iran and Iraq, with the people of Nicaragua, with the people of Cuba, with the people of Venezuela, with the people of Bolivia, we will always and forever have more in common with the masses of people themselves of any nation than we will ever have with even the ruling class of our own nation. This much is 100% clear in the very actions that these two different groups, the masses and the ruling class take time and time again. I stand and say no war with China no war with Russia, no more wars. The United States and its people, the people of Turtle Island, the people of the world, do not deserve another international war. We cannot survive nuclear onslaught. We cannot survive World War III. This planet does not deserve World War III. Think of your children. Think of your nieces and nephews. Think of your, your grandparents who are trying to live out the last years of their life after suffering these things for 60, 70, 80 years. Think of yourself. Do you deserve this? No? Well, then do something about it. Because guess what? They're gearing up for war with China. They're gearing up for war with Russia. They're gearing up with war. They are getting ready. You think us pulling out of Afghanistan and then putting $25 billion extra dollars in the military budget than anyone even the Pentagon asked for means nothing? We are constantly at war already. We're at class war. But we're also actively at war all over the world. In Somalia, in 
North Africa, in uh, uh, Yemen, in the Philippines. We are actively at war all over. Sanctions are acts of war. Immigration and border patrol is act, an act of war. 850-something military bases across the world is an act of war. You want to know how I know? Because it's written into U.S. legislation that no one will ever have a military base on U.S. soil because they consider it an act of war. We're constantly at war, and we are absolutely losing. The masses of people are dying. Your brothers, your uncles, your sisters, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews, your children are going to be the ones doing it. They're going to be the ones with the guns in their hand, taking the lives of innocent people or watching as their innocent lives are taken themselves. If you want to see the world change, you have to get up off your fucking ass and do something. You and everybody else who talks about wanting to see a new world, including myself, need to organize. We need to build a revolution now. We have no time. We have no willingness to fight, and we have to find a way to change that. We have too much comfortability. We have too much fear. We have too much desperation and too much abuse and trauma to convince ourselves that this is a possibility, that we can win, that we will win, but we must, because the people of Cuba are winning. The people of Bolivia are winning. The people of Nicaragua are winning. The people of China are winning. The people of the USR were winning until the capitalist system came in, massacred them, prostituted their children, sold their souls to the industrialists, to the oil executives, to the bankers, and to the imperialist war machine that is the US empire. We have a job, my friends, and we have the only opportunity that anyone really has to take down this beast from within itself. We are in the belly of the beast and we must implode. We must strike. We must build revolution and we must win. The only way that we can do that is together. So my friends, join an organization, build a reading group, develop self-defense networks, build mutual aid connections, do whatever you can, but please remember, we only have one shot. Thank you for listening. I hope you are well. Stay safe, stay revolutionary, and we will see you next time. Bye.